No, I say I say to the fans that the fans are the fans and the fans have the right to have their opinions and to have their reactions. Football everything. I'm so happy, believe me. I'm so happy. Lewandowski, you know, Robert Lewandowski. Dream team, dream team. Fire, swoosh. I am flabbergasted and they're here. I wouldn't even let them on the bus after the match. I would get a taxi back to Manchester. <laughs> the only time a tennis ball has ever made me angry. What's viral on Twitter for us tonight is tennis ball. These boys are fucking utility <laughs> giants. It's unbelievable. This is a great football and country produced players and where we play that rubbish. Yeah. In August 2020, yeah, I'm taking over and that's still decided. I'm angry, I'm angry, Tony, I have to be honest. Stephen Kenny, we won it. So go on, go back to Scotland and get lost. And I'm certainly going to be a part of that. I'm going to manage that. I'm going to make sure we're even better. And fighting is there! Robbie Brady brings us all What an unbelievable return to Premier League action this weekend the ghost of Rory Delap haunting Arsenal years later in the shape of Thomas Franks for Brentford. Liverpool and Man United get out of the gates with a plomb on opening weekend. Grealishless Villa fall to new boys Watford while Grealish full City sink at Spurs and Newcastle and West Ham serve up some prime Barclays madness over Sunday dinner. The Premier League is well and truly back and drinking it all in with me is always Phil and Enda. How are you lads? How are we doing? Evening lads. Good to have it back, I think. Uh, Phil, we didn't hear from you last week. Did you? Uh, were you waiting in anticipation at, uh, at the return of uh, Premier League football? Yeah, I locked myself in the room in a meditative state, just getting ready for the Barclays to come back. <laughs> I was, uh, didn't cross leg it all week in a dark room, just ready to go. And 8 o'clock Friday night, I burst for out sure. of the room, ready to go. Show me the first upset of the season. <laughs> I wanted it. I was ready. And lo, Mikel Arteta delivered. Absolutely. I mean, no better place to start, I think, than, uh, than Friday night with Arsenal and Brentford. 2-0 to the Bees in um, their very first top-flight Premier League game. Um, in fairness, coming up to the game and, and in the build-up, I mean, it had all the makings of a brilliant night for a variety of reasons. Um, I mean, it ticked all the boxes. You had Arsenal providing the fall guys, which they did in, um, in hilariously spectacular fashion. Um, you had the boisterous crowd, Carragher and Neville getting very much involved. I particularly enjoyed um, Gary Neville's interviews with the fans outside the ground um, before kickoff. Um, you had the new manager that is quickly becoming a, a bit of a fan favourite across the board. Um, and then the game, I mean, we had anticipated what Brentford would bring to the table this year. And I mean, if I, a reasonably average analyzer of, of football, could expect um, a fairly heavy high pressing game from Brentford, a rowdy crowd um, in their first game back and a team with kind of bags of energy and doggedness. Surely Mikel Arteta's crew should have known the same, Phil. I mean, before we get on to the brilliant Brentford, I mean, talk about a very dispiriting performance from Arsenal, first of all. I mean, I saw them described today as as a team lost in the maze of their own mistakes, which feels very accurate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, was there anything more predictable than when we saw the, this fixture list come out, that Arsenal going to a newly promoted team playing their first top-flight game for 70-odd years, first game back in, in front of fans, first time that stadium's ever been full as well because it opened uh, at the wrong time in terms of COVID. Was Ranton more sure that Arsenal were going to turn up and fuck that up? Like it, was, it was, like, it was nearly not a shock by the time it arrived, you know? Um, I th- you're 100% right, but it's so worrying a- about this is that Arteta is rapidly running out of the excuses 
that he had as to why things weren't going more right. And listen, it might turn around and might be okay. But like last year, he hadn't had a full full preseason. The year before that, he'd come in halfway through the year. This year, like a, a full proper rested preseason. Uh, yes, he was missing Lacazette and, and Aubameyang. But how muddied things looked uh, on Friday night should be a real worry for him. And he's jumped up a few places in my first manager to go rankings, I think. Uh, even off the back of that, like it was so uninspired. Ben White being typically bad for Arsenal, pe- spending a lot of money on the centre half. I mean, like Jamie Carragher was saying, he two, was glad two Liverpool footed there, wasn't him. he? Yeah. Oh, like he didn't hold back on it. Um, so yeah, look, if, if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be really dispirited by by how that went. As you said, notwithstanding how great Brentford were, and they definitely were, and we'll get to it. But like God, the Arsenal were even allowing for low expectations and expecting that um, that Brentford were really going to tear into them. Arsenal, like you said, like how did they not see this coming? There was I, I just don't know where they're going if this is what they produce after a full preseason preseason uh, under Arteta. Yeah, somebody commented on me last week saying, I think you're a bit rough on Arsenal. <laughs> I, I thought I wasn't rough enough um, just because, you know, the lack of identity that's developed since the FA Cup win under Arteta um, is just, and, and that's probably the biggest insult you could throw at any team in football. You just have no idea what they're trying to do, how they're trying to play. Um, and I think the biggest concern of all is that when your centre backs switch from, you know, switch sides, which needs to be the one kind of constant in a back four, considering, you know, they have need to have partnerships with their full backs. They need to be, you know, they grew up playing in that area, especially Ben White, who's played more right back and right centre back for, for Brighton and Leeds. Um, and then he ends up switching with Pablo Mari halfway through the match, who then has that error for the second goal as well. I mean, it just had all the kind of faulty towers esque stuff you would expect from Arsenal. Um, you know, as soon as Charlie Watts tweeted out in the morning that Lacazette and Aubameyang hadn't travelled, I mean, if somebody had given me fifty quid, you know, I would have I would have gone straight to Paddy Power and, and put it all on Brentford because it just felt like the most inevitable result of the weekend after that. And really, this thing that. I feel isn't getting enough attention under Arteta is just his inability to keep players fit. You know, uh, we've seen it with Thomas Partey, who had a great, uh, you know, not an amazing injury record at Atletico Madrid, but was able to, you know, be very competitive for Diego Simeone midfielder and play enough games. Um, you know, Aubameyang was very fit throughout his career, Lacazette at Leon, and then all of a sudden Arteta comes in and I don't know, is he running them up and down hills the night before football matches? But, um, you know, the amount of niggles the squad has and it's very tough to kind of build up consistency and that identity that he's searching for and you know you feel almost sorry for Ben White somebody coming in I mean you, you think of the defenders he's played with in the last two years you know uh, you know Jansen at Leeds who's very no-nonsense dunk at Brighton you know these are the type of experienced players that he's used to being beside and then all of a sudden rocks up with Pablo Mari and you know the dodgy Leno behind him and then they might replace him with the even dodgier Aaron Ramsdale for 30 million I mean it's just this comedy of errors and I just don't know where Arsenal are going to go from here and you know as Phil rightly said I think Arteta's days are quite numbered I mean the next two fixtures you, they can just write them off as far as I'm concerned um, and then all of a sudden you've you're in Frank de Boer territory. You have no goals and no points after three games, and 
um, it's, you know, I'm surprised Arsenal fans even have the energy to be angry anymore because it's almost all, all too predictable, you know, poor old troops there in the United States trying to build a brand for himself. But <laughs> I think people are, people are too used to Arsenal losing now for it to be relevant anymore, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a great start to, the, to a league season. Um, but, you know, it's probably the first time in a long time I've actually felt a bit sorry for Arsenal, which which sounds bizarre because, you know, surely there's so much only so much pain they can take. And yeah. Friday night felt like kind of, you know, too much for them, really, because of how inevitable it was. Even when the team sheet was announced, I'm, I was just so struck by how kind of on paper that it seemed like a little bit of a nodding team. I mean, um, obviously Lacazette and Aubameyang had this mysterious illness that struck them um, at around 12 o'clock that day. But, I mean, Martinelli, Balogun both started. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe, who I thought in fairness put in a, a decent shift. He was mm. probably their best player. And, I mean, he was wearing a number 10 shirt. And I was thinking, like, when did that happen? Like, how is this kid? He's, <laughs> he's only on the scene two minutes and he's already wearing um, the number 10 shirt for... For Arsenal, and I mean, even the bench was very, very weak. I mean, beyond Bukayo Saka, um, not much to call upon at all. Um, pile of defenders, and obviously, as you mentioned, um, Phil Ben White, um, very uninspiring in his debut. I mean, when 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 Jamie Carragher says that he's the same size as him, um, just a little bit better on the ball. I mean, it's not it does it's as good as Carragher was in his day at times. Um, not not a, a hugely uh, uh, exciting comparison there for for Arsenal fans. But I mean, from the first minute, it looked like this was only going to go one way. I mean, our, our Brentford's press was so impressive. Um, I mean, I was blown away. Um, obviously, even Tony, the um, the big striker up front, has kind of getting all the plaudits and all the uh, the rave reviews coming into the season. But I was blown away by how good Brian Mbuemo was as well. I mean, he did so much running. Um, I thought he was probably even more impressive than Tony at times. Um, and obviously, then the goal... Um, neither Chambers or Leno um, clouded himself in glory there. I thought, um, you know, if you're if you're replacing Leno with uh, with Aaron Ramsdale, um, it's kind of out of the frying pan and into the fire there. I mean, neither um, exude a huge pile of confidence. Um, but the the second goal, I mean, for Arsenal to concede a long throw in um, after they were probably, I mean, the most famous team to um, fall flat, you know against Rory Lap back in those Stoke days. I mean, you had the thing with Winger uh, wanting to um, minimise the size of the, the sideline so the Lap didn't have a huge run-up. I think there was issues over the use of, of towels in one game as well. The, the, the Lap was uh, uh, drying the ball with a with a towel that Winger wasn't too happy with. And, I mean, for that to happen again, I mean, what a way to concede. And it just, I think it probably amplified how how poor Arsenal were prepared, really, in the case against uh, this Brentford side, which just looked so, so good. Yeah, com- completely. Like I, I think the, the last part of what you said there needs discussion for sure, is how, how good Brentford were. Mm. <clears throat> They're like obviously famed for this kind of money ball approach um, to, to their signings and, and to how they run the football club. But um, to see such, as you said, a feverish, a feverish press just swarm all over Arsenal, but then to kind of have that like you know quite modern way of playing yeah. mixed in with that like Pulis long throw business, um, 
but I, like you, you look at Liverpool and their throwing coaches and all that sort of stuff, and it's now gone to the stage where throw-ins are kind of undervalued, and it is actually quite a money ball thing to do. But it does look quite agricultural, and it's just throw this ball as far as you fucking can into the box, and let's cause some trouble by getting on top of their soft lads. Um, like it just comes back again, and like as much as I want to talk about how good Brentford were, it just comes back to how woefully underprepared Arsenal seemed. Like I know. Brentford were playing in a different league last year, and I know they're coming to a completely different status as, like, probably the, if not the 20th most favourite team, the 19th or 18th. But, like, Arsenal could study as much tape as they want and be ready for this fixture that they knew was coming, and they just really, really weren't. Um, and, it, like, it all just comes back to that, like, how poorly they handled what was. Like, pressing's not, it's obviously not a new thing. They're very used to having to play against teams who press in the last three, four, five years. And it just looked like the first time some of these players were trying to do it. Um, I, I, I don't know what's going on with Arsenal. I don't know how they were so undercooked um, for, for a season that they actually had a decent run into. Um, but Brentford deserve all the credit in the world, obviously spurred on by, by the fans coming back. Uh, you see Thomas Frank had a great time, with, with, like whipping them up. He had no problem doing that. Uh, it, it seemed they really fed off the energy of it. Um, and like it, if this is what they're going to bring, which hopefully it is, uh, they'll at the very least be a really entertaining side this year, however it actually ends up shaking out. Yeah, and I think the squad that they've put together deserves a huge amount of credit, especially yeah. after losing Watkins and Benrama so close mm. together. You know, you, you you would have feared for them at that point. But, you know, when you go through the list of names and the age profile, you know, most of them are kind of in that 23 to 26-year-old age bracket, yeah. whether it's, you know, Rico Henry, Charlie Good, um, you know, Matthias Jensen, who didn't even play. Uh, and then to get Iyer from Celtic. I mean, this, and, and Tony, um, you know, who was... <laughs> even though he's only in his mid-twenties, he was somebody who, you know, wasn't really picked up by anybody else at that time. So pure money ball when it comes to him. So, um, you know, the the way Thomas Frank has organized them, you know, and put them together, it's really putting a lot of Premier League managers to shame. Um, but I also think it gives special credit to the championship and just how that's developed in sort of the past decade. We've seen so many players, you know, nabbed from, from clubs as well as, you know, Madison, I, I know Robertson and, and Maguire weren't technically championship players, but they were just relegated, same as Wijnaldum. But, um, you know, it's the best place, in my opinion, for any young player to go on loan. Um, you know, and we saw that with kind of Harvey Elliott and James Garner last season. Chong played well for Birmingham the last night. We've not seen him play like that before. So players are young players are mentally ready for the challenge that the championship is it provides now and i think it's one of the most competitive leagues mm-hmm. in europe and and it's no surprise that teams are coming up more and more often now and really looking the part in the premier league they're not just playing this sort of you know burnley stoke way of of brute force survival you know um there's a bit more swagger to them now um and even though yes Brentford were very physical on Friday night i mean they can play as well um they're the most entertaining side and in the championship last season um, so I'm really excited to see how they can kind of push that forward again this season. Hopefully it doesn't turn into a, a Huddersfield situation where you do have a kind of good looking squad with a charismatic manager and then, you know, it could all fall apart in 18 months time. But, you know, there's more of almost kind of a Swansea vibe about them where they, they're able to just kind of play the same way, regardless of who the manager, regardless of who the players are. They had, yeah. seem to have that kind of identity and consistency, which ironically Arsenal don't have at all. And I think that's why it was such a bad match at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's very exciting to see what they do this season and, and having the crowd back and, and Friday night, all the elements were there. 
um, and I hope they really do kick on because there's just something very likable about them as well. Yeah, I mean, definite credit goes as well to the to the Sky producer. He he got all the the, the big moments in after the game. You had uh, Thomas Frank going over and getting a, a picture with the the young fan, and then uh, the old man uh, tearing up um, <laughs> over the result. Um, and then Frank going over to to the small chap who was absolutely buzzing as well with the result. I mean, um, have we seen a, a more charismatic, a more likable manager come into the league than dare I say Jurgen Klopp back when he uh, first set? came to Liverpool see what Thomas Frank has gone for him as well is that he's not managing Liverpool so like there's I was going to say half the league it's probably more than half the league who are trying not to like Klopp because he's Liverpool's manager whereas Frank is all the charisma with a side that plays attractive football and they're unassuming inoffensive Brentford so I actually think he might be as near to a universally liked manager as you can get in the league like even someone like Bielsa he's managing Leeds who at least half the league fucking hate so even someone like Bielsa who has this kind of mythology about him they have the baggage of the team they manage mm. uh, whereas Frank is managing this attractive playing side um, with loads of charisma quite a, a likeable charisma like the, the manager and it's funny you, you mentioned Swansea um, and because the manager he kind of reminded me of a little bit in terms of kind of an outward energy and a side who played attractive football was Rodgers when, when, when Swansea mm. came up. Yeah. Except he doesn't seem to have that hang a picture of myself, you know, run off. <laughs> I don't think secretary you Energy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that Rodgers has. Yeah, do my teeth up. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, each to his own, but he doesn't seem to yeah. have the kind of the... Um, the self-loving streak, and yeah. I don't know, I don't know him as well as I came to know Rogers, but uh, I think uh, like uh, he—that's he, who he reminded me of a little bit in terms of like relatively underexposed and really mainstream stuff, and um, attractive uh, football played by his side, loads of enthusiasm and charisma, and seems to have a bit of a connection more as well as being tactically astute, which. Mm. which helps with a certain set of fans. He has this energy and kind of connection with a side, which helps with everyone. Everyone likes to see that, whether you care about what formation Brentford play or you like looking at their press and who triggers their press. But everyone likes to see a big smiley fucker who like goes over and hugs fans and has, has a great time. Yeah, he's a rock star, isn't he, really? And I don't think he's the type of guy to do a, a Nagelsmann and turn up at Old Trafford in a three-piece suit, you know, in two weeks time or whenever they play, you know. Um, and he seems to have his own identity as well, whereas, you know, somebody like David Wagner, for example, was just trying to be Jurgen Klopp. And, yeah. you know, that's a risky strategy as well because once that starts to fail, where do you go from there? Um, whereas Thomas Frank is completely his own guy um, and, and, you know, very, very rare to have such charisma and I hope the Premier League doesn't beat it out of him like it has for other managers as soon as it starts to go wrong um, which again is my only concern because I mean even though I, you know, I, I wasn't too kind to David Wagner there he was a very likeable guy when they came up as well and he just seemed this happy German and you know similarities there and then it all kind of fell apart in that second season but I think Frank seems a bit more kind of sure in himself as well um mm. and i definitely was thinking of kind of you know that type of rogers um you know a bit more confident bobby martinez vibe at swansea as well that we saw so um you know I, i'm really looking forward to seeing more of him this season as well and your boys off to a pretty good start um i mean you'll have to fill me in here because i didn't see any of this one but I was following agonizingly along um, the live score app on Saturday afternoon. Were, were, should my reactions to each goal of uh, of Jesus Christ Leeds been more wow united? 
Uh, I think a mixture of both. I think Leeds were extremely underwhelming. Um, you know, I uh, I think there was too much analysis into the game at Old Trafford last season when you're sort of two down in three minutes. You know, I think it's kind of game over, especially when you're a team like Leeds who, who will give you chances, whereas um, they just didn't seem as tactically sure of themselves as you would have expected from Leeds. They didn't actually seem as fit as I would have expected. Mm. And then just this thing of persisting with Rodrigo on the wing, I like it didn't really work last season and they, they were far more assured when he got injured. And I can't believe they tried, like this is the most number nine player in their squad. I mean, this was just, you know, a guy at Valencia who literally just stood on the six yard box waiting for crosses. And now Bielsa is trying to sort of integrate him into this kind of wide forward in a four, three, three. And it's never worked really for Rodrigo or Leeds. And the fact that he tried it again at Old Trafford really surprised me. And then obviously missing Calvin Phillips, I think he makes the whole show tick for them. So that was a big win for United as well. But um, I just felt that they they weren't ready for the high United press that Ali had said in preseason they're going to try and do again, which surprised me considering Bielsa's, um, you know, preparation. You know, I mean, McTominay was all over the kind of back four in midfield um, to a level that I didn't expect from him. But again, there were a lot of reports coming out of United that that would be how they would try and play this season. Um, and again, Leeds seemed a bit shocked by it and were, were very sloppy in possession, trying to actually play out. Um, and then United were just, you know, apart from Pogba's early miss, were just really, really clinical. I thought Greenwood was absolutely exceptional. You know, arrested Bruno Fernandes is a completely different player than the guy you see in kind of at the end of a season who's, you know, past completion is 30 or 40% in some games because he's just out on his feet compared to, you know, some of the stuff he was doing on Saturday was just incredible. Um, so I think everything went right for United and kind of pretty much apart from the equaliser, everything went wrong for Leeds. But I suppose what really impressed me was after that equaliser in the 50th minute, the, the sort of next 40 minutes of the game flashed before my eyes, which was United conceding set pieces, not doing anything, not making any subs, just completely falling into this lack of confidence that regularly happens at Old Trafford. And then three minutes later, they've scored two goals and the game is over. So that kind of dynamism that you would hope to to get from United at Old Trafford, you know, and really factored in by Greenwood um, and his, you know, he, I mean, he was just desperate to score um, all game. And it was no surprise that he was the one who drove that on at one all. Um, and again, they just gave Fernandez and Pogba too much freedom on the ball, which is something you wouldn't have expected from Leeds. Um, um, but, you know, there were reports internally at United that Solskjaer had put together a very strict set of instructions as to the fitness he expected players to arrive back at in the summer, regardless of whether they're at the Olympics, Copa America or the Euros. He did not want a repeat of what happened in the last sort of couple of seasons. Um and, you know, that's been noted a few times by people who know a lot more at United than I do. And that really came across in the match. I thought United's fitness looked, you know, absolutely excellent compared to the sloppiness of last season, um, which surprised me considering how many players uh, played played football um, uh, during the summer. Uh, and even in the Everton game, the first 30 or 40 minutes, I said it last week, they looked really sharp as well. So it all bodes well for what they're doing behind the scenes. And then you throw Sancho, Varane, Cavani into that mix as well. You know, it's it's exciting times. It's the most excited I've been about a United squad, you know, post-Fergie for sure. Um, whether it'll all come together this season or not, probably not. But I, I do think there's definitely opportunities for this group of United players to come out of this season with silverware because that's really the next step needed. 
Four assist Pogba is is and Phil is that a player with a with the thirtieth of August circled on his calendar transfer deadline day is he uh, is he England for a move or do you think that's what he's capable of on his day? Well, I th- I think he's definitely capable of that on his day, and um, like I've been on record before, it hasn't exactly broken my heart to see him struggle at United, but it has been frustrating when you try and strip away the tribalism that the player who was so good at Juventus hasn't been able to translate that to his, to his time in the Premier League by and large. I think more so even than somebody who's maybe looking at the 30th of August, he might be looking at next summer and mm. kind of pretty sure that he's not going to resign and will probably go to PSG and become their latest free agent who gets loads of sign-on bonuses. Uh, but that, there's a freedom in that as well, you know, in, in kind of maybe knowing what the next step looks like it's going to be. And by all indications... PSG, I think, are happier for that to happen uh, than to try and get him on board this summer. Um, and maybe there's just a bit of a freedom in that. It also could just be that, like, you know, he, he played really well for France during the summer. The team is maybe in a, in a better place for him to be able to show his talents now. And the, I was saying about the fitness, I didn't know that Solskjaer had that kind of thing in, in, in place. Maybe it's just a more cohesive unit um, that, that helps him. And I, I think definitely what's relevant, as Enda said, is the amount of space that he was afforded. I mean, like he's a fantastic passer of the ball uh, and like he, he displayed that time and time again the weekend, but what he definitely can't be given is the amount of space that Leeds did give him um, because he's too good a player not to show it in that space. Um, so he, he could be in for a big season, like I said, if he's if he's kind of untethered by having to try and win a move to Madrid or, at, or to Paris and kind of knowing that right come the end of next season or the end of this season, he, he's, he's away on a free he might just be able to play with a bit of a bit of liberty, kind of a reverse kind of contract year. You know those kind of contract years that NBA or NFL players can have, where they play out of their minds when when their contracts up for renewal. Maybe now Pogba knows that his contract isn't getting renewed, and maybe he, he can kind of relax into it and, and enjoy himself a bit. But he he certainly started with a statement of intent. Yeah, and this left wing role as well has kind of developed yeah. since last season, particularly now with Rashford out injured, he doesn't have to you know have he doesn't have to rotate that left position with Rashford, who always drifts out there, you know, so he doesn't really have to do anything midfield-wise. I, I thought he started the game pretty poorly, if I'm being honest. I mean, he wasn't exactly pressing Luke Ailing at right back. He had that really poor miss as well, and then it was kind of that sinking feeling again, and then all of a sudden he just flicked the switch, and, you know, it, it was just incredible to see, you know, I mean, that pass for Greenwood for the second goal, I mean, it was just it changed the entire game, you know, uh, at a moment when United needed it the most because, you know, there wasn't even enough time for their heads to drop or to kind of have that PTSD from last season where, where games at Old Trafford went against them. Um, and really, that's all I'm looking for for Pogba. People want to say he needs to dominate 90 minutes, he needs to be box to box, he needs to track back, whatever. I just think he needs those big moments when United need them the most. And I think that's been his biggest issue at the club. Um uh, and maybe there will be a bit more freedom this season. Uh, he certainly looked very freed up in the World Cup. Um, and even though you have expectations as an £89 million player, as certain Scottish pundits point out, uh, it's still it's still good to acknowledge when somebody plays well and when he doesn't play well, which is an awful lot of the time, you know, that needs to be pointed out as well. So I've been one of his biggest defenders, but also I've been, you know, really disappointed as well at times with him because of because of what he's capable of but you know perhaps it's just going to click this season because everything else is pretty much in place in terms of the centre-back partnership 
I think DM is still obviously the main issue. But if McTominay and Fred play like they did on Saturday, that won't be an issue 60 to 70% of the time. And then obviously him and Fernandez seem to have a great partnership as well. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. And I think we'll probably see him in that left wing role for at least the next three to four months anyways. And and then once Rashford comes back, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But that's not something Solskjaer really needs to worry about for now. So, again, that's another thing kind of going in his favour. He doesn't have that pressure of playing Rashford and then all of a sudden Pogba's back in midfield and, you know, similar problems arise that they have in the last three to four years. Um, so he just... Does, he does just need to be that guy who can pick up the ball in the 55th minute, play Greenwood through, and almost his job is done at that point, really. Um, and the other three assists were just a bonus. Um, so, yeah, no, again, like pretty much everybody on Saturday, he he played very well, and, and that's all I want to see. Mm, Rashford and Cavani to come back, as you said, and Sancho and, and Martial involved as well on Saturday. So exciting times ahead, I think, for United Phil, a pretty good start to the season for Liverpool. I mean, obviously it was Norwich away, a fixture that Liverpool have been reasonably bulletproof in um, over the past couple of years. But it did feel like things are coming along together nicely despite the, the transfer inactivity, I suppose. Were mine and many others, their fears of, of Liverpool becoming stale greatly exaggerated? Yeah. They looked really sharp. That was like the, their sharpness was the thing that kind of struck me most from that game. Like the, the press was on, and the the the, the fullbacks were gone forward. The front three to varying degrees. Salah probably at the sharpest end. Manny maybe at the bluntest, but they were all looked up for it. And um, it looked like a team who were well rested. The players who had a decent preseason. It also looked like players who had time to work on stuff the way that Liverpool like to work on it. They are really well-drilled team in how they approach stuff and it definitely looked like last season that just with everything that was going on games every couple of days all the injuries that we all know about things had gotten a little bit weary they weren't as well drilled as they had been they looked a bit wrecked that looks to have changed a little bit now I, I had kind of unplugged a little bit over the summer I hadn't been aware that Norwich had the preseason they had in terms of the desperate COVID disruption so maybe it explains the contrast of how Liverpool looked extra sharp up against a COVID-ravaged side like Norwich. But it looks like there's a kind of a refreshed hunger there. I feel like, it, I think this is the start of every season, but Salah looks like a fellow who wants a scalp a goal this year. Like, he looks hungry for it. Um, in terms of the, the staleness, I think the players that are still there will still will want to go and like they'll be hurt by how last season went losing six games at home at Anfield giving up their title really meekly having been top at Christmas like it's, it's hard to do both of those things but they managed it um, but I don't think it's completely unfounded to be worried about the lack of transfer activity just because like you, it's, it's absolutely fine that James Milner started as the number six against Norwich away on the first day of the season but it's not an unreasonable situation to think that Henderson and Fabinho might miss a game or two at the same time throughout the course of the season. And the question of who plays number six in that in that instance last year and for the last five years had been, well, it's Gini Wijnaldum, like it is for basically any position that needed filling for Liverpool. Like he's played centre-half, he's played false nine, he's played six, eight, anywhere you want. Now, if Henderson and... Fabinho both go down at the same time. Are you talking about Thiago at six? I'm not sure I'm mad about that with the legs that he doesn't have and you don't want to rely too heavily on James Milner. So I don't think the transfer and activity thing has completely gone away. Mm. That midfield I thought was perfectly functional and fine and did a grand job. 
on the first day of the season. But I think it still looks like if you do have, and li- listen, nobody knows better than Liverpool after last season, that you can actually end up getting a run of injuries in one position through bad luck or whatever else. But I, I, I don't think that transfer and activity problem's completely gone away. I do think it was a decent opening salvo, especially for pundits who were pushing them. I know there's a BBC did their kind of, you know, ranking, their, all their pundits ranked who was going to come in the top four. And there was a couple that left Liverpool out altogether. I thought that was a little much. They might win the league, but like, I think they're, they're, they're like, this is now again the side who won the league by 18 points two years ago. Um, I, I, I think they'll be there or thereabouts in the mix. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a good start. Like you said, like a fixture that they're bulletproof in. I was nearly surprised that Suarez didn't end up on the, <laughs> on the score line, on the score sheet, as seemed to be the case away to Norwich every time. But um, no, it was perfectly good, perfectly functional. And uh, they'll take a bit, a bit of confidence from it, uh, especially obviously with the return of, uh, of Van Dijk and Matip. Mm. Yeah, I don't know how I ended up watching two or three Liverpool games in pre-season, but somehow it became a reality. And uh, rent this, free, yeah, rent, rent free. free, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was just, I was just building up the building up the content for the new season, you know. Keep your um, enemies close. Is not what they say? Exactly, exactly. But they definitely looked a lot sharper. Uh, now again, you know, as much pace as Leeds thought it was good to give. Pogba and Fernandez. I mean, <laughs> if if somebody could tell Norris that Trent and Alexander Arnold is decent at football, um, <laughs> you know that might have helped. You know, it felt like they were doubling up on Simicas and weren't worried about Alexander Arnold. And I am not an expert, but I might have gone the other way around. Um, it just felt like Trent had the entire football pitch at his mercy, really, and it's game over regardless of his confidence or form if any team does that this season um so that was quite bizarre quite naive from Norwich so a bit concerning that they mightn't have learned from you know the mistakes they made uh, two seasons ago but you know it was it was more like the Liverpool that you would you would have expected to see last season in terms of you know Phil quite rightly pointed out the midfield was perfectly functional which is all Liverpool need when the front three works as well as it does you know I think Jota is such a good foil for um, Mane and Salah um, as well as the impact he's had since joining in terms of just his, his sheer goal scoring which is far more um, consistent than you know Firmino's last couple of seasons um, and then obviously the fullbacks you know even though Robertson's a huge loss Simicast is kind of filling in quite nicely and was probably one of mm-hmm. Liverpool's best preseason players and then Matip and Allison looked good as well. So it was all kind of a bit more what you'd expect from Liverpool. I suppose it, it was just chaos last season, you know, just trying to constantly just move players around, fill gaps. Um, and Klopp probably just moved too many players around in the end, especially, you know, giving up Fabinho or Wijnaldum in midfield to plug those centre gap holes just caused too many problems for Liverpool, both at offensively and defensively. So, you know, uh, Saturday looked f- far more like what you would expect to see from Liverpool and and. A routinely, you know, efficient display, um, and worryingly so because I, you know, even with the lack of transfer activity, they still have players to come back. You know, they still have players to get fitter and play themselves into form as well. So, um, yeah, my view on Liverpool is certainly a lot different than it was, say, a week or two ago. Like you said, Fabinho, Henderson, and Thiago all to come back into the midfield, and then, I mean, to have the luxury of Joe Gomez and Ibrahima Kanate on the bench, rather than uh, than seeing some sort of makeshift uh, centre half pairing, did make it for a nice change. 
Um, and even, Phil, you know, the slight tweak of maybe seeing Diogo Jota start a little bit more often and kind of transitioning from Mino into a, a 20 or 30 minute player, you know, could change the attacking tree slightly. There are, you know, the concerns that this is, I think, their fifth year Um with the Sela Mane from, you know, trio up in attack. Um, and obviously then Harvey Elliott, who, um, someone we've kind of waxed lyrical over the past couple of months after his uh, impressive launch at Blackburn. There could be just enough to keep Liverpool a little bit fresh. And obviously then if, if the, the the injury curse can can stay away, the, there is no reason why they can't compete towards the, the very top of the league. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think the Jada point is very well made. Um, I think he brings enough of a difference to that front tree while doing enough of the things that Klopp needs him to do. I think also, and listen, I, I don't know whether it was just that one game, but I thought Firmino was exceptionally sharp when he came on as well, maybe looking to prove a point or whatever. Probably no harm in trying to light a bit of a fire under him. Um, listen, he, he probably never have as good a season in terms of goal scoring as he did in 17-18. Um, again, like that's fine, but he does need to up that goal rate that he had been getting. Um, to, to get back into the team out of Jada, who just has this knack. Like, it wasn't a particularly like clean strike he got at the weekend, but he just has this knack of, of getting goals. Um, and, and then you have this kind of suggestion, like all through preseason, Ch- uh, Oxley Chamberlain was being played uh, as somebody who might be a, a false nine option, and then all of a sudden he finds himself in the back and back into the midfield. So there's, there's a few moving parts going on. Without wanting to fall into cliche, I do think Liverpool will also benefit from having fans back. Obviously, everyone will. Um, there's a lot of players there who haven't got to play in front of hardly anyone at Anfield. Liverpool obviously never played in front of a full Anfield as champions. Uh, I'd imagine there'll be a little bit of kind of rancor about that. Uh, it's certainly something the Klopp likes to plug into. Um, so like, there's probably a few things going in their favour that will at least mean that like forever for uh, for how bad the season went last year, they actually still finished third. Had like basically a third of the season in title challenging form in the first third in this last third title challenge in form and in the middle third relegation form so if they can sort out that middle third by avoiding losing all their center house they should be there thereabouts um especially if and it's looking a little less likely but if there was a midfield arrival in the next couple of weeks then that would even assuage my fears a little bit more but um yeah they, they haven't given anyone many reasons to doubt uh just yet yeah, and nice, uh, just to mention Norwich briefly, nice to see Elamida come off the bench as well. Be interesting to see if uh, he'll play some part this season, which will obviously be a big boost for Ireland to have a, a player playing some minutes in the Premier League. Um, in terms of the other Saturday fixtures, Chelsea emphatic in their 3-0 win over Crystal Palace. Not a particularly good start for Patrick Vieira there, as we had kind of cautioned in our season preview. Romelu Lukaku now a done deal as well. And he's to be added into that mix of attacking firepower at Chelsea. Um, Jamie Vardy also showing that news of his regression was well and truly overblown with his strike against Wolves. Um, I think probably uh, proves that you know he fuels off not just Blue Wicked um, and Red Bull, but <laughs> the 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 anger and fury of uh, of opposition crowds is probably a, a part to play in it as well. Um, Rafa Benitez after a winning start, despite being behind at half time. Um, three three one win over uh, Southampton and Brighton also coming from behind to beat Burnley two one a big win there for uh, for Graham Potter's side in the match um, they absolutely dominated but funnily enough lost out on XG uh, there which is something that they weren't doing last season Shane Duffy as well involved um, after his mm, own man of the match yeah, 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 yeah. So, game. 
uh, and another uh, something to take away for Irish fans. Anything catch your eye across those games, lads? Yeah, I suppose like the Everton result kind of caught my eye just obviously because it had been such a big story uh, mm. across the summer with, with, with Rafa and you see them go behind so early and uh, and so sloppily and you're like, God, that is the last thing that man needed to happen. Uh, it was a slow start, but um, they turned it around and it looks like Rafa has been Rafaing pretty hard. They're going to be a, 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 a crossing team. I think they're trying to make the best use they can out of Calvert-Lewin. Uh, they pinged an awful lot of balls in on top of his head. Um, like I hope Rafa does well. It's still going to be an uphill battle for him. I'd imagine there, he actually got a decent reception uh, from, from Goodison at the start of the game, which was nice because I was afraid it was going to be a little nasty, which maybe shows that the, the people who get into the ground might be a little bit more forgiven than the Twitterati. But um, I think it's going to be one of those things that all it's going to take is a couple of dodgy results for the crowd to get on the Rafa's back a little bit. Um, but it was, it was at least a promising start. And he, he is definitely a man who cuts his cloth accordingly and plays to his strengths. And so um, if any of you guys are playing fantasy football, I would advise Everton wingers <laughs> and fullbacks to be put into your team because they're going to be racking up the assists when they landed on Calvert-Lewin's bonds all season. Yeah, no, it was interesting. I... <laughs> I actually watched the extended highlights of the Villa match um, and was quite concerned, obviously, <laughs> considering how much we talked them up last week, you know? And I thought, geez, maybe the curse is kicking in again. But when you actually see how they performed, they played really, really well. So it was one of those kind of results that didn't really, um, uh, you know, reflect the performance. Yeah. So I think, still think Villa will, will be okay. And then obviously, I mean, <laughs> somehow... David Moyes and Steve Bruce putting on an absolute belter at Sunday lunchtime, you know, as I was sitting down to me roast dinner, you know what I mean? I mean, that that West Ham front four were just absolutely electric. Um, I mean, Mikel Antonio, the, the stuff he's doing for West Ham leading the line the past two or three seasons whenever he's been fit. Um, and great to see kind of Ben Rama, you know, now with Lingard gone, he can kind of step up a bit more in that central role. Um, so if, if Lingard doesn't come back, um, I think Ben Rama is going to have a really great season playing off Antonio and, and there's a lot more to come from Jared Bowen as well who's another kind of championship product who goes under the radar but um, you know that West Ham front six you know with with Suchek and, and Rice uh, as the pivot looks really really strong so it'll be interesting to see how they, they go this season so that was probably the game that really you know set the weekend alight in terms of, you know, anything is possible, you know what I mean? Considering the two the two guys on the bench. Um so um that would have been the one that caught my eye the most for sure. Yeah, I was just gonna mention that game. I mean pure Bartley's entertainment of a of a Sunday afternoon, four two mm. there. I don't think uh, you can go any wrong. And I actually thought Newcastle were were pretty good in that first half, um particularly going forward. I mean Ellen Sam Maximan had had the had the beating of of Rice and obviously Callum Wilson is is probably the type of player that Newcastle need. You know, if he scores 15, 20 goals and is involved, um, and if he stays fit, I mean, a hell of a player to have. But, mm. I mean, they faded pretty quickly in the seconds, particularly when, when Declan Rice got his act together. Um, I mean, you have to say that he was absolutely immense. Um, but in fairness to West Ham, like you said, beyond Lingard, they have retained everyone from last season. Um, Said Ben Rama, you know, has yet to really fully get going. Jared Bowen is a real 
player. Obviously, he's been linked with Liverpool, and but you can see why he has been linked with Liverpool. He is a fantastic uh, little player. And Michael Antonio, I mean, there's a raft of great strikers in that kind of, you know, fifth to tenth or twelfth position in the league. But he's just as good as anyone on his day. I mean, that third goal where he won the header in the middle of the, the park, uh, got it to Ben Rama and absolutely busted along into the box and absolutely buried it. Like the goalie had absolutely no chance. One of the best goals of the weekend. I mean, in fairness to West Ham, like, you know, it's easy to criticise Moyes and he probably felt like damaged goods for a long time, but they feel very much capable of, of putting together another big season um, and may have been a little bit overlooked in the, in that kind of pre-season discourse. Yeah, I've been brutal on Moyes, really, <laughs> since <laughs> since the United Sociedad days. I mean, you know, and the fact that he still brings up the fact that he didn't have enough time, yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, you know, you have to respect what he's done in his second spell in particular. The first one was more damage control, and he still did a very fine job, but I still thought he was just still a bit Moisey, you know. I was still thinking of the guy at Sunderland. But, you know, this time around, he just seems exactly sure about how he wants West Ham to play. It's certainly yeah. the, the, the most f- impressively functional side he's put together since Everton. And, and then there are a lot of similarities there. You think of kind of, you know, that kind of Fellaini, Osman, Jelovic kind of, you know, w- full backs as well being very impressive. Now he's got all those kind of pieces in place again at West Ham. Um, so he's just managed to play to his strengths, which he's really... St- which you struggled to do at three or four clubs there for, for five or six years. So, uh, yeah, very impressive. And, you know, as I said, I think they'll have a great season. Finally, a big win for Spurs against Manchester City. Um, and, I mean, coming into that one, obviously, all eyes were on Jack Grealish. And, I mean, the opening 15 or 20 minutes, I thought City looked very imperious. I mean, it really felt like this was only going to go one way. Um, I mean, Ferran Torres was very busy in that number nine position. Grealish was heavily involved. Um, I mean, they were pretty much camps down Spurs' right-hand side. Um, I mean, immense credit really to Spurs for turning that one around, particularly on the counter-attack where, I mean, in the first half, they were a little bit toothless. Um, Hyungmin Son obviously had a couple of chances where, I mean, he kind of got in behind the defence and kind of turned back. I mean, they looked a little bit lost without that focal point that they usually have um, with Harry Kane. Um, and in fairness, Lucas Moira was was fantastic in his running as well. But again, they were kind of missing that, you know, that target man, if you want to call him that, in Kane uh, to lead the line. But in fairness, they got the goal and the win and, and, or, and they maybe shut up some of City's frailties, maybe that Grealish or Kane will generally be able to fix. Yeah, I mean, we were texting in the group beforehand and we, we said that City front six or the whole City lineup it just felt a bit slightly boring. Um, and, you know, very similar to kind of the Champions League final lineup, very similar to the types of lineups we've seen kind of Pep put together in these type of games. And, you know, bar that first 15 or 20 minutes where they really did look on it and it looked very ominous, then they just fell into those patterns again, you know, very slow moving the ball forward, especially without De Bruyne. You know, the wingers have re- have really struggled in sort of the past, you know, 10 to 15 games. If you look at how they finished last season as well, they, they really lost a lot of their uh, pop and influence. And it almost feels like they've put all their kind of chips in this Harry Kane basket now of just coming in and, and fixing all these problems that a post-Aguero City have. Um, we did 
we did discuss Grealish at length last week and mm. you know I think those concerns are already starting to ring true I mean I was surprised he was left on and it was Mares and Sterling that was subbed off and again that's the challenge of spending 100 million on a player you know um and Pep is obviously very aware of that as well. Um, they did look a bit more interesting when Zinchenko uh, and De Bruyne came on. Um, but it definitely showed up their frailties. And, and on the counter-attack, as we've seen other teams take advantage of in Europe with Leon and Chelsea, you know, domestically, United have, have done well there. Um, and when you do have Mora, Bergwin and Son, you know, with that much pace running at you, um, you know... It was always going to hurt City at some point, even though Spurs were extremely sloppy in the first half. So, you know, as a City fan, which I'm not, but if anybody was, like you'd be extremely concerned that it's just the same old pattern without mm. kind of Aguero or De Bruyne to bail you out. Um, and if they don't get Kane, um, and I know there was a wild rumour they were linked to some <laughs> six foot nine fella there during the week, but, um, you know, I, like... Even somebody like Gerard Moreno, or you know, like you know, they don't seem to have a plan B, which has really, really shocked me. And Gabriel Jesus has completely fallen out of favor as well. So, you know, it's it just feels like they're potentially going on this, um, you know, merry-go-round of false nines for the season, which which isn't going to get City over the line in enough big games, especially you know, you know, like the United, Liverpool, Chelsea defences are going to be very happy lining up against Ferran Torres as a false nine, even though he was very good on Sunday. But, um, you know, you'd have to really worry for City uh, in that sense if, if they don't kind of fix that number nine problem very quickly. I think there'll be a lot of results similar to the one they had on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it, it did seem like a pretty decent blueprint for upcoming teams, particularly at the, the higher end of the league when coming up against City because I thought... You know, if City have to rely on Fernandino, if he does have, uh, as he did on Sunday, Gundogan and, and Grealish either side of him, who are, you know, naturally like to get forward and, and drift quite wide. I mean, Fernandino looked absolutely clocked come 60 mm. or 70 minutes and was yeah. completely getting overrun. Um, and then that glaring, I mean, he's getting absolute pelters for, for all the right reasons, is, is Benjamin Mendy at left back. I mean, he, he can't defend, as, as Gary Neville said, and it's kind of amazing that for all the money that Manchester City have spent over the last couple of, of summers onto the defence, that they still haven't fixed that that big wide hole at left back. So, look, I think there's a couple of things that both of you touched on that I've been thinking about a decent bit since this game. Um, first of all, and this point about the lack of a plan B, if it's all in on Harry Kane, um, I'm not sure you could trust City's recruitment to nail a plan B. Like Their recruitment is exceptionally hit and miss. Um, like for every Fernandinho, there is a Mendy and like whoever else you want to throw at the fullback slots and the centre halves that haven't worked and Jesus and like either a Rodri and like their their recruitment is not very good. Their solution is to spend big money, um, on and like I know they made a big it- thing that like sixty was their record before Grealish, but like they spent a lot of sixties, but like. <laughs> Like Grealish and Harry Kane did not take a lot of scouting. I mean, like, what is their scouting department doing if like Harry Kane is the only number nine that they can they can find? So, like, if they don't get Kane, I don't think you can trust them unless they go and you know raid like Inter, who are looking to get rid of players still, or place like t- something like that for like an Acardi and or sorry, not an Acardi, a Latour Martinez. And I don't think he's necessarily the right player, but like, unless they go for a well-known name, is what I'm trying to say. I don't trust their recruitment to nail something, having spent all summer 
vaguely talking about Harry Kane. Um, and then secondly, on the, the Fernandinho thing, Kev, I think you're 100% right. The man is older than James Milner, and he's their go-to central defensive midfielder for big games. And these are games that City keep losing by getting countered on, and they do nothing about it. And like it's like Pep is annoyed that teams dare to counterattack because it's like, well, we play this possession football and we're trying to do cool things with the ball and all this whirling movement and stuff. And all you do is soak up the pressure, run really fast down the other end, and score a goal. I mean, that's not really fair. Like, <laughs> for like the, for a manager who has given so much to the game that he has this massive blind spot about this thirty-six-year-old who is their only defensive anchor to stop counters. He's like Ralph Wiggum, the I'm in danger meme. Like <laughs> That's Fernandinho when he's got Gundogan and Grealish ahead of him. And he's got, as, as you said, Enda, Jungman Son, Bergwijn, and Mora bearing down on them. And that's not going to be any more fun when it's Greenwood, Sancho, uh, Cavani, or Salah, Mane, and Jota. Mm-hmm. Like, like, against 14 teams in the league, City are going to be fine. And, you know, like Ferran Torres will score a hat-trick against Burnley inside 20 minutes. And you'll wonder why you turned on Premier Sports on Saturday at 3pm at all. But in the big games and at the heel of the hunt, if this is City's constant problem, which it just has been, like, I, I just don't understand how this hasn't been addressed yet. How they have no, atta- how they have no focal pl- point in their f- attack and they have no Fernandinho replacement that they trust. Yeah. But, I mean, I find it so strange that... I mean, they've got this fair, first of all, knowing full well that Sergio Aguero is on his way out for the past two to three seasons, you could say, because Pep never seemed hugely hung up on him. And then obviously Fernandino, who they've relied on for years now. I mean, beyond Rodri, they've never made any effort whatsoever to bring in someone who they feel could try and replace these players long term. Whereas, you know, obviously they've piled money into into full back positions and and. Uh, and kind of wide attacking positions and obviously um, a huge pile of money on, on centre halves as well but it's two glaring holes that they've left open and now Aguero who's, has moved on I mean they kind of knew for, for a couple of seasons now that Gabriel Jesus didn't seem up to it and and obviously Fernandino is, is in his mid-30s and looks very much a player in his mid-30s who is trying to keep a, keep a, a full midfield under wraps with, with players that um, have an eye further forward than they do in the in the, the defensive, you know, responsibilities. Yeah, and that Pep stubbornness has been like his greatest strength and weakness throughout his career. Um, yeah. You know, as as Phil said, you know that almost how dare you counter attack my <laughs> philosophy of football? You know, um, and it's it's again it's tough to argue against when you've had the success that he's had and you know these are still the champions that we're talking about but uh i think teams are more ready for city right now than they've ever been you know since pep arrived in the country um you know like they've lost the champions league final they've lost the community shield and they've lost their opening game against tottenham i mean it's this is a bad run they're on now this isn't just uh, an opening day freak result, uh, and and Tottenham were you know even though not great in the first half, they're pretty good value for it by the end, just because City just didn't do enough to uh, to make them suffer, uh, and there was nothing else really that suggested apart from bringing De Bruyne on that they could fix it, and you know uh, Phil brought up an interesting point about duds as well. I mean <laughs> Nathan Aki for forty odd million isn't yeah. isn't pulling up any trees at all. So I mean if if they can keep, you know, Laporte, Diaz and Stones fit as well. I mean, 
you'd worry about them. I think Rodri had a much better season, in fairness, than he did in his in his first season. So that's potentially your, still your Fernandinho replacement. But the strategy has been to keep Fernandinho as fit as possible for the bigger games. And um, I, I think he's just getting a bit too too old for even that type of strategy now. So it'll be interesting to see how they manage that going forward. But, you know, if they don't get Harry Kane and they don't get somebody else in, um, I think, you know, there'll be a lot of... <laughs> There'll be a lot of mediocre days ahead, which seems weird, again, saying it about the champions and, and a pep team, but th- there's just um, there's just no focal point there. And it doesn't matter how many Jack Grealishes you have on the pitch. They they need somebody they, they can target um, and they don't have that at the moment. Four matches now for, uh, for uh, Pep at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And 69 shots and not scoring uh, a single goal so far. So definitely... Uh, uh, not a friendly stadium for him so far. And I mean, on the other side of the ball in at, at for Spurs, um, fantastic start for Nuno and fairness. And it's been very easy to crap on, on Tottenham this summer um, for a variety of reasons. You know, their, their manager selection process, um, first of all, and then the Harry Kane thing and, and, and generally just a team that seemed a little bit down in the dumps uh, to a certain extent. But in fairness, they've played quite well. I mean, I thought Jafid Tanganga, was a big call at right back ahead of um, Matt Doherty, who Nuno is obviously very familiar with from his his days at Spurs. And in fairness, aside from probably should have getting a yellow card there in the first half, uh, I thought he was very good. Um, and I mean, we've obviously seen a couple of players improve post Jose. Um, Luke Shaw is one example in particular, uh, in that you're obviously very familiar with. But Deli Ali, I mean, I f- talk about a forgotten man. Um, in that Spurs midfield played very well I thought and, and it does feel like he has a manager now that you know will get him in the right position and, and will kind of try and boost him with a little bit of confidence to, to get him going there and in a midfield three with who Heiberg and, and it was Oliver Skip on Sunday who I thought put in a, an absolutely fantastic shift the pair of them I was quite surprised by how good Spurs were because, like you said, everything that's happened to them over the summer, um, it just screamed to me that this was a side that were looking more like Arsenal than they were any of the top four teams. Mm-hmm. Like it just seemed like they were on a slide, and um, that like they'd gone through this really incredible era, uh, like this team under Poch that were like these like knife between the teeth killers, and slowly that team was being taken apart and maybe even the kind of the beacon of the team and Kane was going to leave and everything just seemed like it was sliding and that they were going to be playing in this lovely big new stadium, but they were going to be playing like Europa League conference at best and just be terrible. And then after the first 15 minutes, they're like, like and they were saying they were definitely full value for it by the final whistle. They were on very dodgy ground earlier. Completely agree with you, Kev. I think Tanganga was absolutely excellent. Um, Deli Ali was like a new man. I mean, obviously he was that kind of like shadow striker number 10, when he first broke out, um, he put in an absolute Trojan shift on the defensive side of the ball this weekend. Uh, Spurs had that really narrow front three, kind of minding City centre halves, and really left the fullbacks to be minded by the midfield. And I thought Hjordberg and Deli Ali did a great job. And I think Deli Ali had his most tackles ever in a Premier League game. I think I read that um, on, on Twitter over the weekend. And it didn't surprise me because he absolutely stepped up to work. I suppose there's a bit there for him as well. Like you look, he's he's still a really young player, but you look at like what England achieved in the summer and 
if you'd have been told that kind of four or five years ago that England were going to do it, you would have bet that Deli Ali was going to be a significant part of it. And he was not he wasn't anywhere near a squad, and rightly so. So there's probably a little bit of kind of making up for lost time there from Ali as well. Um so all, all of a sudden and like once Wallace doesn't make a summer, this isn't to say that Spurs are going to be good and City are going to be bad, but there's a real foundation, I think, there for Spurs to, to build on full stadium, full new stadium, which is great for them as well. There's kind of an extra little element there. Um, and like that front three, okay, maybe the depth isn't great beyond it, but like Kane leaving doesn't look like quite the hammer blow it did when Son can just shift across to the central role and, and be relied upon as the main man for, for the first time in his Spurs career. Um, it, it certainly looks more positive, and like obviously because they bet City, but like it looks a lot more positive than I think people thought about Spurs going in. Yeah, I mean, I'd still be concerned that there isn't really a, a backup number nine there. So if yeah. you know if Son does get injured, I mean, you've a lot of pain for Nuno ahead in that case. Um, and 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 again, I mean. Mora, Ali, Son. I mean, the shift that they put in was absolutely incredible, really, for the for the full ninety minutes. And my only is that sustainable going forward, every single time. So, not to be overly negative, I, I thought they were extremely impressive as the game went on. Um, you know, and Ali has so much to prove at twenty five years old. I mean, he he must be seeing, you know, English midfielders in that squad, that national team, that, you know would never have been in the same bracket as him two or three seasons ago. So it's no surprise that maybe uh, it's hitting home now that it's time he, he needs to fulfill his potential a bit more. Um, now that he's not that kind of number 10 second striker anymore, which he really enjoyed when he was kind of 20, 21 years old. Mm. Um, but, you know, uh, there's still one son injury away from sure. you know being a completely different side um you know everybody can do their job brilliantly if they do if they get that one moment from a son or a harry kane then that, that brings everybody else into the game but you know they have christian romero to come back as well or to come in um which is going to make a huge difference i think in terms of how they defend i think he's going to be a phenomenal signing for them um hoiberg has really been impressive since joining the club for for both denmark and spurs actually um, and Skip, as you said, is was the kind of that kind of fresh blood that a Spurs midfield, a Spurs squad needed to just somebody to come in that hasn't been bogged down by the kind of end of the Poch era, era and then the the damage that <clears throat> he who should not be named did. Um, so uh, yeah, there was there was far more positive than negatives, but uh, I'd still be concerned that you know Nuno's standard kind of approach is probably a still a bit too negative for a club like Spurs and, and a full stadium uh, at London, it's fine for Man City and, and the counter-attack worked perfectly. But it'll be interesting to see how we can manage, you know, uh, the games against those kind of teams in the bottom 10. But it's it's impossible to complain about anything they did on Sunday. On the Harry Kane front end, um, obviously it's been a top of the news lines uh, over the past couple of weeks, but back training for Spurs today, apparently, um, according to reports there. I mean... Charlie Kane, his brother and and agent, getting absolute slated on Twitter yesterday, mate, for a, <laughs> some hilarious reading. I mean, yeah. this talk of his pictures. <laughs> <laughs> he basically has a home office set up in which he wears a three piece suit, and there's about a hundred oh, pictures of Harry Kane on the back wall, and it's just mm. you see the fucking it, motorbike. It's just dreadful. Yeah, he has a fucking <laughs> motorbike in there. <laughs> but but all this talk of uh, of. Uh, 
handshakes and, and gentlemen's agreement with uh, with Daniel Levy, which is uh, I can't imagine Levy is uh, is going to be too keen on on, on holding that. I, I mean, he's on a six year deal. Like, if you want something in set in stone, write it into the contract. But it does feel like if uh, if Kane had uh, Mino Raiola or Jorge Mendes as his agent, he'd be anywhere but Spurs at the moment. Mm, absolute bollocks, really. This whole gentleman's uh-huh. agreement. I mean, Pat Nevin was on off the ball this morning saying maybe he's been lied to by Daniel Levy. There's no chance he's been lied to. Levy probably said if if a team pays what I demand, then you're sold. If not, then you're not. You know, he did the same to Berbatov. He's, he did the same to Gareth Bale. And he's doing the same to Harry Kane. He's well within his rights. I mean, ridiculous contract to sign at 25 years of age. Uh, Mino Raiola would have walked if he was his agent at that point. <laughs> Um, you know, seeing the way he's managed the kind of Donnarumma and Pogba contract situations, you know, um, if if you don't bring a favourable offer to the table in which a player has the option to kind of comfortably walk out of, then they'll just run down their contract and then they have all the power. And uh, it's it's probably, you know, one of the most bizarre contract extensions you'll ever see. And and it's coming back to bite him now. I think Kane and his brother, uh, you know, we, we touched on it last week, have played it absolutely brutally as well. Um, and he's been almost humiliated at this point, you know, and with Spurs winning, that was the, really the last thing that Kane needed, mm. you know, as much as Martin Tyler wanted to remind us about the world being all about him, um, you know, and and then there's this extra level of embarrassment that he's going to play in the Europa Conference League on Thursday. It's just, it's just <laughs> all kind of going against him at the moment, really, and it doesn't really feel like there's much coming from the way of City paying that fee as well, so... I mean, if he if he does come back, he'll have to do a lot better groveling than he did with that statement, you know, a couple of Fridays ago on Twitter. So um, there's not really a lot in his favour at the moment, I feel, um, in terms of the deal getting done, in terms of his relationship with uh, the Spurs fans, and in terms of his reputation overall, which was pretty much crystal clean throughout his whole mm. career. And all of a sudden, he's just... He's had a few PR disasters. The interview with Neville um, as well was very out of character for Kane. Um. So yeah, I think you know it's it's all going to get a bit awkward, really. Yeah, I know. I know he's a big NFL fan, but probably watching too much Aaron Rodgers over the past couple of months, and <laughs> uh, where US sports stars generally hold all the power. But um, it's slightly different in football, where you're relying on another team to to put up. 100, 150 plus million um, to try and get your signature. So um, I think he should lay off ESPN there for a, for a couple of weeks and, and just get back <laughs> doing his job. Um, lads, happy to have it back. I know we had a, a, uh, yeah. a, a long season last year, a little bit drab at times, um, and obviously the Euros kept us going, but uh, not a bad start to, to, to the new season. No, I, I, I think we mentioned at the start, it was definitely the, the return of fans, I think, that, that's made a big impact. It just feels different it feels sharper it feels like it matters a bit more uh, like you said the euros kind of showed us the way in, in that especially after like just like I, we came on here uh, every week and we were talking about how, how difficult it was and there was like we talked about nearly i think every game we've touched on now i mean i can't remember the last time we would have talked about Anton more than two or three games mm-hmm. in the premier league uh, because mm-hmm. there was nothing worth writing home about you know city won the league at a relative counter with the lowest points total since the mid-2000s, I think. Um, nobody was particularly arsed about it. It just felt like it happened to fulfil broadcaster obligations almost at the end. Um, but like it, 
like we said at the start of the podcast, from Friday night it felt different and it continued through. And and, and as you said, and if Anton is a sign of uh, either a good season or an impending apocalypse, it's David Moyes and Steve Bruce <laughs> producing the best game of the weekend. So yeah, it's great to have it back and excited to get stuck in and maybe learn all the players' names now that I've did like Arsenal started with two players I'd literally never heard of before. It felt like going back to like a pre-internet era when you weren't quite sure of who everyone signed. You'd know who Liverpool signed and maybe the big news. And like I expect not to know Watford's team. I mean, they're half of them are just signed from other Pozo clubs. But like Arsenal had two, literally two players in their first team in their starting eleven. I'd never heard of in my life. Uh, so that made me feel very alive. Yeah, I think for once these Tim Sherwood types might be right, where it is the best league in the world at the moment in terms of certainly its competitiveness. I mean, again, we've mentioned the quality coming up from the championship, the general quality across the board. All the big signings in the summer have been in the Premier League. Uh, You know, Spain and Italy are are about to experience a horrible, horrible dip, you'd feel, with the finance issues they have. Germany, even though Bayern drew on Friday night, you know, we, we all know how that's going to go. Uh, and France, I mean, defending champions have conceded seven goals in two games. Lyon have dropped four points. So PSG are absolutely just going to walk that league. So, you know, the Premier League is genuinely where it's going to be about this season. Um, you know, there's just, you know, how how Lukaku and Sancho, Varane, for example, like, I mean, that was a mental moment on Saturday that we didn't even mention. I mean, that was old school signing announcement and I mean I would have loved to have been at Old Trafford on Saturday for that moment because that was just absolutely epic seeing that on TV and and to take the world's most perfect selfie in two seconds sums up the genius of the man um so I, I think it's going to be a fantastic season and um it, it was a great start and it, it it's where it's at this season for sure absolutely great to have it back thanks Phil thanks Enda thank you thanks lads So we leave it there, so okey doke. Good night and God bless. <laughs>